Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. I say that every night, but I think that every night. <laughs> All humility aside, you know what I'm talking about? So uh, anyway, this next topic uh, we're going to talk about tonight. This one's been percolating in my mind for a while. It's about social anxiety. I think it's something that's pretty common. Uh, I'm sure there's some people that are like, nope, never have it. Feel great about it. Feel 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 desired. Feel accepted. Feel confident in my ability to participate, be who I am. It's quite fascinating. I was away last week or the week before. I don't even know a place and time anymore. Um, I was traveling. And um, it was interesting because, uh, well, let me, let me backtrack. So uh, I was having a conversation with someone that I had just met. And they were saying to me, uh, you know, because of the work you do, do you analyze people? Which it's somewhat of a stereotype. And the answer is yes and no. Uh, so think about if you were a interior designer or a dentist or a dermatologist or a stylist or a, you know, um, a hairstylist or barber or even a uh, songwriter you know, you're not necessarily judging everyone's haircut and, and their, you know, dental hygiene and their skincare routine and what they're wearing. But at the same time, you kind of are, you do notice those things. You might as an interior designer or an interior architect walk into someone's home or into a public building and think, wow, that, that is horribly done in terms of color story or, you know, the furniture is set up in a way that really blocks the ability to utilize the room and the flow of the room. You're going to notice that maybe someone's fade isn't as tight and <laughs> excuse me, or that their, you know, dye job isn't as great as you would have done or, you know, things like that. So, you know, it's a little bit of both. So yeah, as a, you know, mental health professional, do I walk around diagnosing people? No, I'm actually not someone who participates in diagnoses. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that. But I do pay attention to people's, you know, relational styles. I do pay attention to uh, people's coping mechanisms at times. I do pay attention to some people's core beliefs and cognitive distortions when they're on full blast, people's ability to tolerate intimacy and closeness. Yeah, I noticed that you can't do something for, you know, 30 plus hours a week <laughs> and not notice a dentist is going to notice dental health, dental hygiene and things like that. You know, uh, it's in front of you. So all of that's in there. Um, all of that to say, because of that, I was just tracking and I started to notice my noticing, which is a sign of mental health. We as humans are the only species that can think about our thinking 
animals don't think about their thinking. They don't have what we call an observing ego, this other part of ourselves that monitors and tracks ourselves. It's, it's a practice, it's a honed skill, it's a muscle you have to learn to work. Most humans aren't doing it, but all of them in theory have the capacity. And that's what mental health is about, uh, us paying attention to our thinking, because our thinking will absolutely lead to our mood, and that will often lead to our behavior, because we're very mood dependent in our behavioral choices. If I feel angry, I'm gonna act it out. If I feel whatever it is, I'm gonna act it out, versus saying, as I've talked about on the show before, our behavior doesn't have to come from our mood, and in fact, it often shouldn't. It should come from a place of choice and reflection, and it should be always tied to our values and our ethics. And that's why people might be angry at a breakup, but when I'm angry at a breakup, I don't act out that anger, which would be mood-dependent behavior, where I might just go keys, key someone's car, put them on blast on my social media, or whatever it is. Instead, I come from my ethics, which is always care and compassion. And so that's the way you'll see me behave while feeling the feelings I feel, because we're never trying to suppress or deny feelings, but we're also not trying to act them out or amplify them. We're trying to always do the in-between which is acknowledge and allow, but live from our ethics and our values. So I know I'm rambling. All of that, <laughs> all of that to say is I was socializing and I was really watching how people were moving through the world as social beings. And I was noticing, you know, some people are a little more um, hesitant about participating when there's a group discussion. There are others that wait until something is said where they have confidence and then they kind of lean in and engage. Others maybe aren't anxious at all, but are just a little introverted. And so they don't mind witnessing and watching. Others really vibe out on making their thoughts and their needs known. And that's what I was watching. The people that are so extroverted and had no social anxiety. Um, some had no self-awareness either. <laughs> and they weren't really aware of the impact they were having on those around them or the conversation. And that's a bummer. Others did have an awareness. So there's an appropriateness to it. But just were very confident saying what they were saying. you know. And then it was interesting to watch those that anxiously would participate, those that just witnessed and watched. And so you got to see kind of every example from social anxiety to full social confidence to complete self-awareness <laughs> and dominating the conversation and putting their foot in their mouth. It's a wealth of things. So I was starting to think about this concept of social anxiety because a lot of patients in my clinical practice come in uh, to work on that directly or elements of that emerge because I think we very much live in a culture where more of us than not probably do understand some social anxiety. Um, because, it, you know, again, there's no universal experience of anything. Every, there's no such thing as depression. Everyone has a different version of depression, how it manifests, what causes it, how it's maintained, right? There's no universalizable depression. Everyone has a different experience of it. Um, and the same thing with social anxiety, what it feels like, how it manifests, what creates it, why it exists, also very different based on the person. So we're gonna kind of talk about how to work through that tonight. So uh, stick around, we got more to come. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, y'all, we are back. And tonight we're talking about social anxiety. I have so many thoughts, so much I want to share. Uh, I'm always, not always, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it like that. Tonight, I'm, I have a little... Nah, anxiety is not even the right word. I want to make sure I get all my thoughts out there. I have so much to say on this. Um, and I want to kind of start with a, with a discussion about like why it matters, right? Because some people might say, stay home. <laughs> social, if socialization makes you anxious, just stay home. You know, limit, limit your social experiences. Um, only go out when you have to. And I think during COVID, <laughs> some of us were living that way. I sure was. I mean, look, when I tell people I'm introverted... A lot of people laugh and don't buy into it because I can go on talk shows. Um, I can go to rallies and speak to huge crowds. I travel the world educating. I do a lot of media, work with patients in my clinical practice, and I very much can step into that Dr. Donahue identity. I have a lot of confidence in the work I've done and in my education and my clinical experience. And, and we know what my mission statement is, which, by the way, I really do believe if you have a mission statement and there's a purpose behind your work, that that inherently enhances a lot of, you know, self-esteem and empowerment around it because it's driven by something meaningful, um, very enhancing. So just a little tidbit to throw out there that if you don't really necessarily feel good about yourself or the work you're doing, just ask yourself, is the work I'm doing and the life I'm leading worthy of self-worth and self-esteem? Because if not, that's why it might not be there. And is there some kind of mission statement behind my life and my identity and the work I'm doing that can maybe enhance a self, uh, a sense of self-worth? Because uh, sometimes that's what social anxiety is about. It's it, sometimes it's it's understandable. Um, you might not be living in the world in the way you think you should outside of your ethics and your values and your mental health. And so some anxiety about who you are and how you're living is reasonable. I mean, that's definitely in there. Um, is the life you're leading worthy of sharing with others? Because if we have shame around something, it's understandable that we're going to withhold from participating in the world fully and in deep intimate relationships because we don't want to be found out or we don't want parts of ourselves found out. So if someone is um, trans and living in an environment where that isn't safe for them to be themselves, it's understandable that then they internalize shame around parts of themselves. And if we have shame tied to parts of ourselves that leaks out and it becomes tied to our larger self, it's really hard for us to move through the world only embodying a fraction of who we are. We can't really do that because we have to protect who we are. And so we have to protect all the different layers that are connected to that. So it's vast. So some social anxiety is because I'm not proud of who I am or what I'm doing in the world. That's not what tonight's show is going to be about. But I wanted to kind of just make that a caveat. Ask yourself that first. 
um, if you're struggling with mental health, drugs and alcohol, things that you don't feel proud of or good about, or there's a part of your identity because it's marginalized and exploited in our culture, and so you're not able or allowed to be openly, you know, differently abled or uh, queer or or gay or or trans or gender fluid or maybe you're a sex worker and the world just isn't built up to support who you are. Um, that's very understandable that we have anxiety. So the work is, is there, is there a way for us to work on that? And again, we've talked about that on other shows. It's about finding community to reflect back that you have worth and value. We all need to be part of social worlds and relationships that mirror back clearly and directly who we are, and what's important to us. Otherwise we won't feel good in the world. So that's a part of that. Again, th that community is tied to the social media we have and follow and participate in, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So do that work. But if you're living a life that you shouldn't be proud of because it is outside of your ethics and your value system, clean that up. Start to live above board. Start to live in a way that you're proud of. And then you'll feel good being seen and heard and talked to. Because if we're carrying shame, whether reasonable or not, acceptable or not, it's very hard for us to be looked at and talked to and to step into intimacy because people are going to want to know who we are and we're not proud of what it is we bring to the table. You know, socialization in all of its forms, just like sexuality and, and dating is very much like a potluck dinner. I haven't used this example in a long time. I used to use this one a lot. Patients in my practice that are listening to my radio show, y'all might've heard this one, shout out to all of them. Um, so again, if you show up at a potluck dinner or a party, whatever the heck it is, and you're really proud of the meal you made, you're like, y'all, you see this? I made this. You wanna put your own little name on it. Like Dr. Chris's vegan mac and cheese right here. Y'all taste some of this good stuff. Now, if I show up at a potluck and I'm like, oh, this stuff is dry, it's bland, it's gross, I slapped it together, you don't want anyone to know you brought that. You're going to like hide that dish behind something. That is very much how we exist in the world. If we're proud of who we are, what we've put together, the life we've built, the identity we've built, the way we move through the world, the things we do, we want to be seen and heard and engaged. We want to talk about our life. We want to talk about our week. We're happy when someone's like, hey, who are you? What do you do in the world? What was your week like? Oh, great, you asked. I feel really good about my answer. I'm proud of it. But if it's the opposite, well, understandably, you don't want to be seen. You don't want to be heard. You're going to collapse. I mean, even think about the posturing tied to shame versus confidence. A confident posture is one where your shoulders are back and up. Your head is lifted. You're making eye contact. Your chest is pulled up. You want to be seen. You're proud. You're standing tall. Shame is a collapse. It's a folding down and in. We want to shrink. We want to be as incognito as possible. Our head is down. We're not making eye contact. Our shoulders round forward and down. Our back is tilted. So some of the work is just pulling ourselves back up. There's some beautiful somatic work about lifting as a way to pull ourselves out of that shame. You know, sometimes it is about faking it till you make it. Who do you want to be in the world? Assume that posture. This is some NLP stuff, neuralistic uh, neurolinguistic programming, uh, grinder and bandler. I mean, we've never talked about that on the show, but some of it's that, uh, where Tony Robinson stole some of his stuff. And so science is about just pulling our bodies and, and living in, but all that to say, that's the question you have to ask yourself, you know, is my social anxiety tied to something I can work through, right? Make some changes or is it outside of that? So we're going to talk tonight about the things that are outside of that. You know, you're living a life above board. You feel good about who you are. Um, but yet that social anxiety is there when you step into these worlds. So we'll talk about that, what to do. Um, 
a lot of interesting perspectives. And I didn't get to make the point I wanted to make that I was afraid of forgetting to make. So I will do that in the next segment. So don't go anywhere. DMs are always open. So if you got a question for us, topic you want hit, something you want us to circle back to, drop deeper into, put it in the uh, DMs on our IG page. That's why it's called slide into the DMs. Slide in there, y'all. But stick around. We got a lot more to come, okay? Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back, y'all. Well, Rachel, we are back. And uh, before the break, I was saying, uh, oh, there was this valuable point I wanted to make and I couldn't, I was afraid I was going to forget to make it. And sure enough, I did. And, uh, you know, it's not the biggest, most profound thing, but what I really wanted to point out is that, you know, some people, again, we are very much driven by comfort. Um, we seek that which is familiar and comfortable for us. Uh, a bulk of us, you know, there are those that love new experiences. They love anxiety. They're skydiving and all sorts of stuff like that. I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like things that are potentially life threatening. I don't get a kick out of that. But, um, my point being is what happens when we have a, a phobia or an anxiety, um, or shame is that our, our world starts to shrink down and we start to become very avoidant. Anything that makes us anxious, we avoid. And that makes us feel safe, but it means we're not necessarily participating fully in our lives and in the world. And so that can also start to become depressing. So the work is about learning how to tolerate more anxiety. The work is always gonna be about moving towards and, and sitting within what makes us anxious. We wanna keep the world bigger. We wanna keep our world large. We don't want our world to shrink down around our comfort. It can keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And again, during COVID, I saw that happen with a lot of people where they were not really that familiar out in the world, participating, socializing, all that stuff. So with social anxiety, it's, it's usually an anxiety that leads to avoidance and a lack of participation and passing on things. And the work is about trying to say yes to more, tolerate more, go for a little bit, go for a little bit longer, do a little bit more, really pushing on those edges, pushing on that, what, what we tolerate. We're always trying to expand our window of tolerance, fill in the blank with whatever the topic is. And we're always trying to expand, become bigger, hold more. I mean, that's the goal as we age is our life should get bigger. That's why I'll never agree with the ageist toxic idea that aging has a decline narrative. I think it should have, and often does, if you do it right, if you age right, it should have an expansiveness. We should be excited that we get to be here another day, assuming we like the world in which we live, and there's a lot of reasons not to. Racism, we're losing abortion rights and body autonomy and sex negativity and homophobia, so I get it. But leaving all that outside for a minute, which we can't, we should have an expansiveness, a growth perspective with aging. Not everyone gets to live another year. Not everyone will be here in 10 more years. What a great thing that you might have that option. And as we get older, our lives should get bigger and fuller because we're doing more. More people are brought in. Um, we have less anxiety, less shame. We've worked through things. We have more of a sense of who we are and what we like to do. And we've moved towards that and fully embraced that. I feel that way as I get older. I'm learning more and more about who I am and I'm having more confidence to do the things. Um, I'm part of a spiritual group that I spend time with every week. I participate in an art class and an art practice. Those are cornerstones. Um, I spend a lot of time now in nature. Um, I spend a lot of time reading, research, and studying and working on some projects. I socialize. I started to cook. Um, so like I've made sure my world's getting bigger. I'm trying to travel, travel in ways that make sense. I'm still being very thoughtful about the pandemic. I am not doing anything that's risking COVID yet again. I still have symptoms of the past two times I had it. I can't tell y'all I have extreme fatigue. I'm 
always exhausted. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm living more in a burnout than I had prior. And so I'm having to say no to a lot of stuff and turn a lot of work down. I can't take anything else into my schedule. Um, but my point being is that we don't want to give into this perspective of keeping everything safe and small. That's often, like I said, how we depress ourselves. And that ties to these larger pieces. Like when we're aging, we don't want this decline narrative that the world gets small and you're doing less and you're socializing less and you're anxious and you're fragile. That doesn't have to be our story or our journey. It could be the opposite. I'm learning to set boundaries. I'm learning that I'm more robust or resilient than I thought or not. I'm participating in the things that have meaning and value. I'm trying new things. I'm, I'm taking advantage of the time I have now. And we're infusing that with things that have meaning to us. So all that to say, again, social anxiety can lead us to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. And the work is about expansion, expansion. Whenever a client is trying to avoid something that makes them anxious, I'm always saying we want to move towards that. We want to have the capacity to be a part of. And when we're talking about socialization, often there's really nothing to fear. And that's why it's really important that we do this work on pushing on the edges of comfort around social anxiety, because rarely are we talking about environments that really have a true or actual threat. It is a perception. It is a fantasy. It is a cognitive distortion. It is a fear not rooted in reality. Harm isn't going to come. Nothing bad is going to happen. Whatever might occur is dealable and tolerable, but yet it feels so much bigger than that. And it feels so much bigger than us. And we're avoidant of it because anything that makes us scared or anxious, we run from or lean away from. So I'm trying to shove you back towards. So, um, when we come back, we're going to do some DMS and then we're going to get into, uh, what do we do to help deal with and work through our social anxiety? And it's not work that can be done laying in your bed. That's what I say about therapy. I'm like therapy. We're talking theoretically, but what you do between sessions when you're on the playing field is what matters. It's like sports sitting in the locker room or going over plays. Great. But like, get on the, get on the, the court and like put it to practice. So, you know, again, you really have to be in the work. Um, we just can't always live in theoretic land. So, okay, coming back, we'll do some DMs and then we'll get into the meat of it all, the nuts and bolts, as they say. So DMs always open. Put some questions on our DMs. Past episodes of the show over at wearechannelq.com. We'll be back though. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, y'all, what do we got today? This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, uh, I read an article recently saying that getting married doesn't mean anything, which I don't understand. Two people truly love each other and are happy in the relationship. Shouldn't marriage be the next logical step? Uh, no, <laughs> I think what you're learning is that we're in a beautiful time where people are being more thoughtful and mindful about what they want within their relationships, what they want within their sexuality, what they want within their gender and work and career. And we're pushing on the edges. We're pushing on our boundaries and we're realizing we have more options than just single or married. And we're realizing that just because, you know, we're realizing that marriage doesn't promise anything. Marriage doesn't mean you have more love, care and commitment any more so than anyone non-married has love, care, and commitment. Um, it's really about the individuals. And a lot of people assume that marriage will bring, create, and promise those things. But if you don't already have that, you're not going to have it. You're just going to have a marriage license on top of it. So, you know, when I work with individuals, I don't care if they're married or not, if they're going to get married, I just break it down and talk about how safe do you feel? How attracted are you? How compatible are you? Is there trust? Is there love? And whether or not you want to sign a legal contract, that's up to you. That's far outside of psychology, but it's not necessary. 
And some people think it has to be. Some people think there always has to be a next step. And they think they have to check all the boxes. We have to start dating and then get monogamous and then become exclusive and then we have to live together and then we have to have kids and we have to be married. You don't have to do any of those things. People are living separately. People are having open relationships. People are having multiple ongoing relationships, polyamory. Some people want to never be married. Some people are delaying marriage till later in life. Some people are having children with their best friend. I love that. I know a gay guy and his lesbian friend have a, are having their second child. They live together while also dating. It's a beautiful thing. Children need caregivers. Doesn't matter if it's a man or woman or if they're married. And individuals just need relationality. Some people want to be single and just want friends and they just hook up and have sex. Uh, it's a topic we're going to be actually talking about later in the week. Um, hookup culture. We've talked about it before. We'll continue to talk about it, but we're going to hit it again, what you need to think about to survive. And um, we're always talking on the show about how to get through and deal with marriage. And for some people, actually a lot of people, marriage is the backsliding into traditional gender roles for those that are in a mixed gender relationship, heteros. Um, and then people that are in some gay relationships, they're often forging new scripts because it's not assumed that you'll do this and I'll do that because we're the same gender. Both women or both men or both non-binary. And so they actively choose what makes sense for them. And that's a really beautiful way to enter marriage. So even for people that are hetero to say, just because I'm female identified doesn't mean I have to stay home. Maybe I want to work in the man stays home. Um, or maybe we both work part-time or whatever it is. And I love that. I want people to choose what's right for them and not just go along with the social script that they've been trained to go along with. I want people to actively decide based on who they are and who their partner is, what is most interesting, but also what's best for them. Um, everyone's going to need something, something different. And I want us to be really honest about who we are and what's going to work for us, work for us, excuse me. <laughs> So be thoughtful. And I think that's what the article was talking about is that you don't have to do anything anymore. Uh, you get to choose your own path. And a lot of people aren't choosing marriage. I think marriage might fall by the wayside. I really do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because again, it doesn't mean that there's more care, love and commitment. Most marriages end. The stats show of all the marriages that are happening, most will end. And that's not a bad thing. Some of them should end because there's not love, care, and commitment, or people have grown in different directions, or they were never really a good partner, where marriage with that contract doesn't allow you to leave when it's time to go. Some people, sadly, because of that, stick around in something toxic or abusive. That's not good. Um, and if we don't have to worry about that contract and the finances behind divorce, people would leave. And that would mean we have to be a good partner and create a good relationship to keep the relationship. And I think there's something really valuable and meaningful in that perspective. So... I think that's what the article was getting into. I didn't read it, so I can't really say that much about it, but that's kind of where my head goes when I hear things like that. So, you know, that's that's what's up with that. Um, but just make your own decisions, you know, based on who you are and always interrogate why you're choosing what you're choosing. It's not just, that's just what I want. No, that's not good enough. Be more thoughtful. Is that because you've been told that's what you should want? Is that because you find value in that? What value do you find? Every choice has some positives and negatives, and we want to really be open to exploring them all. If you got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics, things you want us to circle back to, drop deeper into. We'd love to hear from you. That's on our Loveline IG page. And also past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down for Loveline and click on it. Binge, post, re-listen, and share. But guess what? We got a whole lot more to come, so don't go anywhere. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all, because we will be right back. All right, y'all, we are back, and we're talking about social anxiety. And what's really interesting about it is when you're feeling socially anxious, thinking about uh, socializing or, or, you know, entering a space or while in the space, I want you to hear me in your head saying, 
get out of your head. Because if you're having a socially anxious moment, it means you're too focused inward. All the attention is inward. I'm thinking this, I'm feeling this. Oh my God, I'm starting to sweat. I can feel my stomach is tight. Oh no, I'm panicking. No one's talking to me or I don't think I fit in here. Now, and I say this very lovingly, so let me use this wording. It's very self-obsessed. We are hyper-focused on us, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and the focus, the spotlight is all towards us. When we're feeling all that, I want you to hear me in your head saying, focus outward. You are too focused on yourself and your experience. Go outward. Go connect. Go talk to someone. Go start a conversation. Go for a walk. Go get food. Go to the bathroom. But try to redirect yourself and discourage yourself from focusing so much on what you're thinking and feeling, which isn't real or accurate. Remember, health, health, if nothing else from today's show, learn this. We have to start thinking more about our thinking. We can't just start thinking something, buy in. Our thinking is biased, it is often extreme, it is often not rooted in reality, and it's often not true, but yet we buy into it. I'm panicking, I'm feeling socially anxious, so we buy into that. Something must be wrong, something must be off. Oh my God, I think I gotta gotta get out of here, I I have to. Whoa, self-focused, you're buying in too much. Mental health is thinking about your thinking. You interrogate yourself, well, wait a minute. Is Is anything bad actually happening? No. Is my thinking extreme, biased, true? You challenge all of that and you realize nothing bad is happening, nothing bad has happened, and my worst case scenario is still nothing. Nothing bad could even happen. And I have to focus on others. What are people doing? What are people talking about? What is happening in the room? Focus outwardly. Go have an experience and participate in some level. It's, it, it, am I saying distract yourself? Kind of. Am I saying go talk to someone and connect? Kind of. But I'm just saying get away from focusing on yourself, your thinking, your feeling, and your body experience and focus more on what's happening around you. Focus on what you're seeing. What do you see in the room? What do you hear going on in the room? What do you feel under your feet? So the, the first thing we want to do, because I'm, I'm helping those that are feeling very unanchored and panicking and maybe dissociating, because I've had that being an introvert with a lot of social anxiety, I've dissociated in social events. I've had a full on panic attack and I have to do grounding exercises. And and we do the best grounding exercise by using our senses. What are some things I can see? Can I see three things that are the color red? What do I smell? What do I hear? Can I, what sounds can I hear? What can I touch? And that's how we bring ourselves out of our body and back into the room. A lot of people would say that's how we bring ourselves back into our body, but I'm actually using it as a way to get out of our body and to just be in the moment and in the space. I can touch the table. I can see different colors in the room. I can hear different conversations. Bam, I'm back. And that's for those that really need that anchoring. Those that don't, I would say go participate. Go talk to someone. Go listen to something. Go look at something. Go do something. Pull yourself out and away from yourself because social anxiety is a lot of self-obsession at times. That's also what anxiety is, self-obsessed. And again, thinking about our thinking, we tend to realize whatever I'm worried about, nothing bad is or could even happen. It's not a real fear. I'm not in danger, but it gets triggered. And so there's too much inward. The work is about going outward. And what we're also trying to do, again, is get out of our head by going to connect and do something. You won't be feeling as much social anxiety if you're finding a way to participate somehow. And the most reasonable, meaningful, grounding, participatory thing we can often do is just go find someone to stand next to or near or touch. If I'm in a social event, I'm feeling that way. I go find someone I feel safe with and I just stand in their presence. Go connect to someone. Go find someone to be around. Less thinking, more doing. Less thinking, 
more participation. Sometimes it's also about touch. Maybe someone, you put your hand on someone's shoulder, you know, with consent, someone you feel safe with. If you're there with someone you're in a relationship with, hold their hand or lean up against them. But really utilize the people you know as a way to feel a part of. Go stand in someone else's conversation. Go stand with them. Stay with them. Go sit by them. And if you really have the ability, start to ask some questions. Participation is what's going to help the most. If you can find a way to engage by just asking one question, two questions, responding to something that's being said, you'll really feel brought in and a part of. Because that's a lot of what this is, is we start to create what we're afraid of. We already don't feel a part of, and we're worried about our ability to fit in and participate. And then we start doing things that literally create that and make that impossible. We, we create the exact fears that we have. And the work is about countering that, you know? So first, like I said, you got to kind of regulate yourself if you're one of those people that has a panic attack. And for those that don't, you have to stay open. You have to not shrink. You have to not collapse. But we have to work with our body. And we also have to work with, as I said, our thinking. Think about your thinking. Like, what am I really worried about here? What stories am I making up about what's happening or about what other people are thinking? And is that true or accurate? Do I have evidence that supports that? Because again, most of our thinking, as I said, is extreme. It's biased and it's not true. Most people aren't thinking anything about you. You know, all right, we'll be back and uh, we're going to keep talking about social anxiety. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we're back and we're talking about social anxiety, how to deal with it. You know, a lot of it comes from a really reasonable place. It's uh, often a protective mechanism. You know, it it protects us. Um, It's a natural state. Even though there's no feared, uh, there's nothing worthy of fear in the environment around us in most cases, um, it's very understandable that you're creating these storylines cognitively and your body responds appropriately. You know, you start to feel these symptoms and then, you know, tell yourself, oh, my body's trying to protect me, but nothing bad is necessarily happening. I'm safe. And that's where we have to get better as a culture, not only thinking about our thinking, but also self-talk, talking ourselves through things as though we're with a friend or with a therapist. You know, a good friend in those moments would say, hey, I appreciate that you're feeling anxious, but let's just acknowledge for a minute that we're actually in a very safe space around safe people and nothing bad is happening and nothing bad could happen. Because a lot of social anxiety is about nothing rooted in reason. If you know you are somewhere where there's a reasonable fear of safety in some form, I'm glad you have then that anxiety. But this is about misplaced anxiety. Um, so again, avoidance is what we don't want to do. And avoidance is usually what you do want to do. That's not going to help you learn how to overcome because the work is about learning how to tolerate and stay put in those moments. So that's the next tip. Stay put, stay just a little bit longer, push yourself. When you hit a peak and you're like, Oh my God, I'm panicking. No one's talking to me or I'm standing here silently. Say to yourself, number one, nothing bad's happening. I'm safe. And number two, can I just tolerate this a little bit longer instead of running out or stepping away? Can I stay here for another minute? Can I give myself five more minutes? Can I say to my friend, we're going to go, but let's leave in 20. Cause it's always about expanding, pushing on that window of tolerance, learning how to deal with and tolerating more, flexing those muscles. We don't want to run every time we're anxious. It's not about confidence. It's about tolerance. Confidence is going to come and go. It's learning. It's about tolerating. So we have to be willing to take those small steps. And so we're moving towards. So it's always about, can you stay a little bit longer? Can you hang in there for another minute? 
Now, again, I'm assuming we are in safe social places. I appreciate that there are some places where people aren't kind, where people are clicky, where there is a social hierarchy, where people are gossipy. Please leave. Those aren't safe spaces, and I don't want us to learn how to tolerate or be a part of those spaces, and I don't think we should be around those kinds of social groups. Those are toxic and nasty. Those people are all compensating for something. People that are happy and content and confident in their lives and the life they build and the life they're leading don't feel the need to attack or put down others, right? So I want you to be around people that are higher functioning. And then you can literally say to yourself, this is a safe place. These are safe people. There's nothing for me to worry about. But as you're hearing, there's no three quick, easy steps to resolve this. And people come into my practice saying that all the time. How many, how many sessions till we resolve this? I'm saying, I don't know. That's on you. I'm going to tell you in therapy, which is 20% of the work, what to think about, what to work on, what the tools are, talking about where this is coming from. But it's developmental. And I want you to go out in the world and actually gain that skill. Developmental. I want you to grow as a result. I want transformation for you. So you're going to have to be made uncomfortable. You're going to have to get your hands dirty. There's going to be some work. You're going to have to break a sweat. Yeah, I want you to go into those social environments and I want you to challenge your thinking. How rational is this? I want you to stand there and learn how to tolerate more. I want you to practice those grounding techniques if you feel like you're panicking or dissociating. I want you to utilize the availability of social anchors that are in the room, people you know, people you feel safe with, standing by them, engaging. It's always going to be about growth. Because your other option is to, as I said earlier in the show, let your life shrink down and get smaller and never push on those edges and really allow limits. Then you also have to, this is, this is the part about challenging the negative self-talk. Think about your thinking. What is it you're hearing yourself say to yourself? And is that true or accurate? You have to examine it. Are you saying everyone hates me or saying I don't fit in? What is, what is the evidence of that? Because a lot of the time, like I said, what we're worried about is either nothing we can either figure out or locate, or it's tied to something that's not even reasonable. Because again, you will survive this. And so I want some people to learn how to just maybe sit there in silence, maybe sit there off on their own, sit there not doing anything. Don't immediately pick up your phone and act or pretend to be busy. Don't necessarily, I don't know, get on a phone call outside. What would it be? What would it mean if you just sat there and said, it's okay that I'm quieter. It's okay that I'm a little more introverted. It's okay that I'm not fully participating in the ways other people are. Like that has to be allowable. There's a natural allowance for something like that. So I don't want everyone to think that the work is to perform social ability because for someone who's lower leveled on the social scale or more introverted, that's not honest for who you are. And I won't always agree that more is always better. I want people to feel confident in who they are and how they are, but I don't want us to have our life shrink down because there will be times when we maybe do want to go to an event or a party or we're dating someone or a friend invites us somewhere and we can still be introverted and lower level social and still participate in some of those things. So the work is about how can I be in those spaces while still honoring who I am? Because again, some people aren't really into socialization and that's okay. Some people are a little quieter and that's okay. But I don't want our worlds to shrink down. So we wanna have the skills to participate in those worlds when we need to. Um, but it's not going to be comfortable. So again, we're, we're grounding ourselves. We're allowing ourselves to be where we are and how we are, but we're also acknowledging that there's a way to move into that anxiety and to find a way to participate. And we find people that are the entry point that allow us in. So we stand by them, right? And we start to ask questions and we challenge ourselves to engage because participation will always make you feel better. Connection to someone and participation are probably the two biggest anchors for someone who has social anxiety. 
And so we have to take advantage of that. All right, when we come back, we're going to finish up this talk. Um, I know it's, it's hyper theoretical, but that's kind of how this is. We're working with ourselves and they'll be doing some DMs. So uh, DMs are always open. That's on our Loveline IG page. Put your questions in there, topics you want covered, things you want us to hit. Always confidential, always anonymous as you're helping yourself out with those answers. Someone else is learning from it as well. And then past episodes of the show over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline. Click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Lots of good stuff because it's all about the practice, unlearning, and then relearning some better perspectives. Uh, stick around though. More to come. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, so we're back and uh, we're talking about social anxiety, ways to deal with it, ways to cope with it. Uh, medications always exist. You know, that's something to think about for anxiety or depression. Um, we talked about the signs of it, fear of situations. You're assuming you might be judged or ostracized, worrying about humiliation or being embarrassed, uh, fear of engaging others. Um, and what happens is we talked about this a little bit. Your world starts shrinking because you go into avoidance. That's what we do as humans. We avoid that which scares us or makes us anxious. And we always try to seek comfort. But then we don't learn those skills or tap into our resilience and our world starts shrinking because we avoid the event and anything that kind of brings us into the event. Mm -hmm. So I really want us to start working towards um, what scares us. And you make a list of all the things which are the easiest ones to tackle first. Because the more we start tackling things that are hard or difficult or anxiety inducing, the more resilience we realize we have and our competence and our confidence builds. And then we capitalize on that. So sit down and say within a social event, what's the scariest part of it? Going, going alone, talking to someone, have a plan. Who am I going to go with? Who can I talk to? What can I talk about? But it's also about allowing those moments of discomfort while there. It's not about always finding a quick solution, which is what we love in our culture. Just give me a quick way to fix it. It's like, oh my God, we want to learn how to internalize some skills and make ourselves a little more resilient, a little more robust. So we don't always want to rush away from something that makes us anxious. I kind of want us to sit in it for a second. Say to yourself, okay, listen, I'm at this party. No one's talking to me or there's a lull in the conversation. That's okay. Nothing bad is happening. Let me just ground myself in the moment. You know, do the grounding exercises we've talked about. Um, is there anything I can, you know, because here's the thing. When we're not feeling safe and grounded, our thinking's not going to be accessible in the ways we need it to be. We're not going to be able to confidently stay connected or reconnected uh, or reconnect. And social connection is one of the most, again, co-regulatory grounding things. So, you know, at some point, yes, standing by someone, talking to someone you know, whatever it is, is going to be a very soothing thing. But I want us to also be able to tolerate some of that on our own because we do want to learn some of that self-soothing and what happens is you realize that you have more resources than you thought you did because socialization isn't supposed to be socialization is supposed to be fun right it's like sex and dessert we don't have to do it we it's good for us but we don't have to do it and so make it honest what who are you really what are the things you generally enjoy talking about and as we express that because there's no right or wrong thing we will naturally at some point find the right people who gravitate towards that. Um, I know I've been to some events or parties where people are talking about the newest reality show and pop star and I don't enjoy or value or know any of those things. And so I start talking about the things that are of interest to me and the people that I really shouldn't be connecting with and I should have anxiety around because we have nothing in common kind of drift. But what's really fascinating is when you really bring it towards the topics that are meaningful to you, a lot of people will adjust and meet you there. I was at a party a long time ago and it was the things we were talking about were so vapid and so stupid and I was so bored and I was there with a date. And finally someone's like, cut it all off 
off and was like, is anyone reading anything interesting? And I was like, oh my God, yes. And me and this person started geeking out on what we're reading. Some people kind of joined in and other people drifted and fell away and they kind of should. You know, I didn't want to connect with them. They didn't want to connect with me. We weren't really meant to connect because I don't just inherently value random connection. For me, I like that depth and I want to transform and be transformed uh, because the work I do and the things I read and talk about, I'm used to some meatier topics. Um, I'll never really enjoy more of those fluffy, superficial things. But when we bring our true self, generally, not always, we find people that can connect with that or people kind of push their bar a little higher and they'll step out of just that mundane stuff or not. And that's okay too. Not every social event has to be a zinger. But the key is about learning to tolerate more discomfort and the key is about not letting your world constantly shrink down and get smaller. Because um, again, socialization is supposed to be fun. And I think we need to just push more and step into our discomfort. We can't always try to keep everything familiar and keep everything comfortable. Life is going to present things that are a little bit bigger or more difficult than you feel like you have the internal resources for. And we have to show ourselves that we'll survive. I mean, that's really what it is. When you walk it all the way through, like, oh, what, what are you afraid of? Going to the party. Why? No one will talk to me. And then what will happen? Well, then I'll feel awkward. Okay. And then what? Well, and then nothing. And you're like, see, there is no worst case scenario, just a little internal discomfort. And that's okay. And you'll survive that. But you have to have the experience of surviving that to be reminded that you will. Sometimes medication can shave down the sharp edges, but that's not a cure-all. Medication doesn't cure that. It doesn't give you a new skill set. It is about a stepping in, training our nervous systems to tolerate more eye contact, more talk, more closeness, more socialization. But in, in the end, go with some friends that you know understand you. Go with some friends that you know will stay with you or near you when possible. And when not, learn to ground yourself in those moments and learn to bring your more honest self forward and see if that's reasonable, meaningful, or of interest to anyone. It's a, it's a hard world and the world's a little bit different these days. And I think everyone's a little softer in general. So now's a good time to really practice all this stuff. Like I said, the world softened. <laughs> like let's capitalize on that softness. We're all a little tired. We're all a little, you know, a little bruised from the past couple of years. So take advantage of that. Um, all right, don't go anywhere. We got more to come. We're gonna be doing some DMs. DMs, questions, topics, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Love to hear from you, helping others as you're helping yourself. And uh, past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Lots of good stuff, so stick around though. More, more, more to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back, y'all, so uh, don't go anywhere. Stick around. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up.
sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medela. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, Rachel, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs always come from our love line and G page. If you've got a question, drop it in there. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm currently in a relationship with someone that is 22 years older than me. Excuse me, that's a big age gap. Bam. He's very stable financially and emotionally. That's great. Those are really good words. Stable. <laughs> Whatever you put after that, I'm into, especially when it's emotional. Finances matter too, which is a drastic difference from my ex-fiance. And I know that he has the desire and means to take excellent care of me. We have a healthy communication. Oh, sorry. We have healthy conversation and communication. And his family, including his two daughters, are very accepting of me. So far, he got my support. Uh, I trust him. See, I can't wait to hear what the big surprise twist is because so far, this is awesome. I trust him while I enjoy his company. Oh, here it comes. I feel like something's missing from the relationship. There's no pinning. There's no pining for him while away, which means kind of missing him and longing for him. And I have difficulty picturing a future together. See, that's not good. <laughs> because the qualities of the other, uh, you know, the qualities of this individual, that they're stable emotionally, financially, um, that they take good care of you, that communication's good. That isn't what is right for everyone for a romantic sexual relationship. Because remember, that so far is what you want in a friend, but in a primary romantic partner, you want romance, you want sexuality. That is why we seek that. Yes, we want primary companionship and support, and some people, they don't care about the sexual and romantic, and some people are asexual and aromantic, and so it doesn't matter. So you do have to kind of figure out what your goals are. I know for me, again, my romantic sexual life is about romance and sex, but let's come back to your question. You said, is this what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like? Am I craving the toxicity that I experienced in the past? No, I don't, I don't know. You kind of called it out. There's no desire for this person sexually or romantically. You just said that they're a good person. That's basically what you said. This person's a good person and they would create a good relationship, but I don't have any sexual or romantic interest or desire in them, which means you shouldn't have a sexual or romantic relationship with them. Um, again, some people are okay with non-sexual, non-romantic primary partnerships and they'll be monogamous with that. But for me, that means you are giving up on the beauty and power and transformation that sex and romance provide. If you're going to be in a, a monogamous relationship with this person, maybe you won't be. And then you get all your needs met and everything's great. But if you're going 
going to have a monogamous relationship, that means you'd be giving up on sexual and romantic desire and passion and chemistry. And for a lot of people, that doesn't work over the long haul because that's a healthy part of us missing. That's not something to take lightly and say, oh, that doesn't matter. You can just masturbate or as long as you really love them. Well, for some people that might work a more companion roommate style partnership, or for a lot of people, it's not. And so this person might be better to be a friend. And the fact that you're asking the question and you're concerned means that it isn't enough. Because if it was enough, you'd have no, you'd have no question. You'd say, this feels good. I want this in my life. So my sense is it's not good enough. And that's a bummer. It's a bummer that the people we sometimes want to be with are people we can't be with for whatever reason. We're not necessarily compatible on a monogamous romantic level with the people we want to be. And that's the reality of the world. And we have to show up and deal with that. So again, you have to decide what you seek in a primary partner, make a list. And if you put sex and romance in there and affection, then this isn't the right person. If you say, I just want stable companionship, then it is. But again, the fact that you're anxiously asking me this question means you have a concern and it tells me that what you have just doesn't feel like it's enough. Not to say that even in the best relationships, people don't ask questions or have concerns, but not to this extent. So again, you have to really sit with yourself and say, what is it I want or what is it I'm seeking ideally in a primary partner? And is this person able and willing to provide that? Now, can sex and romance grow down the road? For sure. For some people it does, but for a lot of us, it's there at the beginning and it doesn't always emerge down the road. So again, you have to really decide what it is you want and what's most important to you. What is your hierarchy of priorities? Maybe sex and romance are at the very bottom and then bam, you're good, but uh, you're going to have to take some time. And I know it's a tough one. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow night. So uh, make sure and join us then. If you've got a question for us, you're helping others as you're helping yourself, put that question in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And if there's a topic you want us to hit, something you want us to circle back to, also put that in there and uh, past episodes of the show. Always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Lots of good content, so check it out. Spend the rest of the night being kind to you and those around you. Thanks for hanging out with me. And as always, y'all, you enjoy the rest of your night. Have a good night. I'll see y'all soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 